0: morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, why don't you turn to the Book of Hebrews, chapter one? Uh, last week we began a series, Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. As we are seeing, how Jesus is our true and better Savior. Jesus is our true and better uh, King, our great High Priest who gives us the true and better faith uh, beyond all we can imagine. Um, Hebrews, we began last week, is a deep and rich book that preaches the Old Testament gospel in the New Testament. And my goal uh, through this series today and throughout the whole series is uh, to give us a, an overview uh, of the book uh, because it is so deep and so rich, uh, and that our time together in study on Sundays would be a launch pad uh, for deeper study personally, for uh for personal reflection, for discussion with other believers and, and further study. So, as you see, when we go through the book, it is, there's so many things we just would want to camp out on for, for months. Um, but a lifetime of study wouldn't be enough for us to understand the fullness of Christ, even as revealed in the book of Hebrews. So, it is my hope and prayer uh, that we would have a clearer understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we are in light of that, so that we may repent and believe and worship Him rightly, and then partner together uh, in gospel mission in various ways. So uh, why don't we pray as we dive back into Hebrews chapter 1. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Lord, a time to gather uh, as your people, with your people. Uh, Lord, a time to sing praises to you and over one another. And God, a time to open your scriptures. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us now. Uh, God, that you would open our minds to understand and open our hearts to Uh, respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, indeed, may we have a clear understanding of who you are and who we are in light of your your good news and then how we are to live. So, uh, Jesus, we give you this time. Holy Spirit, I ask you uh, that you would move in a mighty way for your glory and our joy and that the good news of Jesus would go forth from this place. In Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter today. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are are to inherit salvation? This is God's Word. Friends, Jesus is our true and better messenger. There's no messenger greater than Jesus, and there is no news better than his gospel. And this changes everything for us. Have you ever gotten a mixed message about something? Or have you ever been part of a message being lost in translation? I mean, it could be something funny or it could be something tragic few examples I was reading this week in advertisement, those are always good. When Kentucky Fried Chicken entered the Chinese market, to their horror, they discovered that their slogan, finger licking good, was translated as eat your fingers off. Or for Pepsi, they had a slogan that Pepsi brings you back to life Uh, but it was literally translated in Chinese as Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave, right? In Italy, a campaign for Schweppes tonic water was translated (laughs) Schweppes toilet water, right? General Motors had a problem when they introduced the Chevy Nova in South America uh, because they realized that uh, the translation for Nova meant that it won't go, and so no, nobody bought a Chevy Nova. They changed the name in South America to the Caribe. Right. Sometimes it could be minor. Getting lost in translation or, or having a, a miscommunication could be minor, and it could actually be funny like that. but uh, sometimes it could have a more rippling effect to where you actually like change the course of your life, right One. Humorous example. One of my favorite commercials. A couple years ago, uh, you may remember it was a was a Bridgestone commercial, where, you know, the one I'm talking about. The two guys are sitting in their cue book at their computer, and the guy just types something and hits it, and his buddy goes, "Ha ha! Oh man, you hit reply all to that." And the guy jumps up in panic and starts running throughout the city, knocking everybody's cell phones out of their hands and ripping computers out of the wall and driving all over the city, ripping out circuit boards. And then he comes back and sits at his desk and his friend says, Oh man, I was just kidding. You know, you didn't hit reply. Oh, it was just to me, you know. Or, the true event in 1938, the radio broadcast of Orson Welles' adaptation of H.D. Wells' War of the Worlds. In 1938, this radio broadcast sent some listeners into a panic who thought they were really being invaded by Martians. Sometimes messages get lost in translation. It could be either a cross-cultural thing or maybe just a fluke of human brokenness or foolishness. And these translations can get lost when you go from one language to another or one culture to another. And for you and I today, even from divine to human. Right, So you have the God of the universe creating everything out of nothing to speak to his creation. And in that, sometimes the message gets confused and lost. In the same way, our daily lives are faced with constant mixed messages. You have messages of culture saying you need to look this way. You need to dress this way. You need to act this way. You have messages from uh, you know, music saying, this is good and, and this is not, or this is popular and this is not. You have messages from your job or your career saying, you know, your worth is found in your status in this corporation. Or your worth is found in how much money you have in the bank or what neighborhood that you choose to live. Sometimes, when we listen to these messages, we follow the messengers. And this can be bad sometimes. It can be sin. It can be rebellion. It can be us wanting to be self-sufficient and turn from God saying, we choose this message over your message. We choose to follow this messenger over your messenger. Sometimes it's not as blatant as rebellion. Sometimes it could be a subtle shift of idolatry. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes we find good things that we latch on to because we make them ultimate things. For instance, you can say creation is beautiful. God made creation, right? And then you end up worshiping creation. You think no? Well, uh, think about various uh, religions and philosophies. Even the motivations behind something good, such as environmentalism, can end up being a religion in itself. Or something good, such as tradition, Tradition is good, cultural tradition is good, denominational tradition can be good, religious tradition can be good in so much as it points you to your Savior. But sometimes we get stuck and fixated on the message that we think we're hearing from a culture or tradition, or we follow the messenger, maybe that be you know one style of church or one uh, type of pastor or preacher or one uh, whatever, And we end up losing sight that the message is about Jesus. The true and better messenger is Jesus. And we end up getting lost halfway in between somewhere in translation. And this is what was happening in the first century. The author of the book of Hebrews is addressing uh, religious folks who uh, were kind of confused about Jesus' role in their life and and what does this new Christianity look like? How does following Jesus uh, jive with their cultural uh, beliefs and their religious traditions. Many of whom were coming from a Jewish background, and in the first century, uh, seeing this letter, uh, would, would, would try to figure out what, what is Jesus's role here. And so the author shows. The readers and us today, that Jesus, in the first couple verses that we looked at last week, that that Jesus is is equal with God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, that He is the exact imprint of God's nature, that He is the creator and sustainer. We looked at that last week, and today, as as we continue in the first chapter of Hebrews, the, the author is saying that Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to the angels. The word angel literally means messenger. And if you look in Scripture, uh, angels are mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament, over hundred and sixty times in the New Testament. Angels were created beings whose purpose was to worship God, whose purpose was to be a messenger to God's people from God. You see in Scripture that angels minister to God's people, giving comfort and care, and that, and that angels are agents of judgment. At Christ's second coming. See, the word angel at its core means messenger. And so the author of Hebrews is addressing the issue of missing the message of the gospel because you're fixated on the message from God's messengers. And likewise today, we find our identity in the messengers we follow and in the messages we believe. But friends, as we look and unpack this chapter over the next few minutes, it is my hope and prayer that we would see that Jesus is the true and better messenger. That there is no better messenger than Jesus. Therefore, there is no greater news than his gospel. And that this good news transforms us, transforms our identity, uh, reorients our worship, motivates our mission and motivations in life, and renews our hope. So let's look at it this way. The first is this. Since Jesus is the true and better messenger, we see first and foremost uh, that this good news informs our identity. Because in verse 5 you see this. For of which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or I will be to him a father And he shall be to me a son. See, right out of the gate, the author of Hebrews, like we said last week, is coming in saying, Look, I want to show you who Jesus is and how this good news changes everything for you. Okay? And he starts bringing in Old Testament scripture. He's not saying, Hey, the Old Testament, just disregard it. We need to focus on the new. No, he's saying, Look, the Old Testament is all pointing to Jesus. Here are some examples about how God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets to tell us about his greatness and Jesus coming to be our rescuer. So he does, throughout the book, starts to drop in Old Testament quotes, which is fantastic. And here in the, uh, verse 5, uh, he, he quotes Psalm 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm written hundreds of years before the time of Christ to talk about a Messiah coming, the identity of God's rescuer sent from God to rescue God's people. to to redeem them, to restore brokenness, to rescue them from sin and wickedness and eternal separation from God, to restore all things. And the author says this, quoting Psalm 2, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a Father, and he shall be my Son. You see, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus, unlike angels, is not a created being. You and I are created beings. We live in a world that was created by God. Angels, even though they are spiritual, supernatural beings, are, are created beings. Angels are not co-eternal with God. Angels are not of the same substance as God, as Jesus is, of God. You see, Jesus is superior in that He is the same nature of God Himself, that He is the exact imprint, Scripture says, He is the radiance of God's glory. And then here, that His very identity is He is the begotten Son of God, the one and only begotten Son of God. We know that any time the New Testament quotes something from the Old Testament, you can't just take that one phrase piecemeal, but you have to take the whole context of what's being quoted. And so I have a homework assignment for you. When you go home today, read all of Psalm 2. Alright, the writer of Hebrews quotes verse 7 of chapter 2 of Psalm, saying, look, you were my uh, son, today I have begotten you. Uh, but what that brings to a first century reader and for you and I that, 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 that sees that phrase is like the catchphrase to like suck us back into the whole context of Psalm 2. This whole cultural anticipation of deliverance. This, this expectation that the Lord would send a deliverer, a king, a one and only Messiah to come and once and for all defeat Satan's sin, and death, to rescue God's people from political corruption, from religious corruption, from oppression, from brokenness, that he would come and restore all things to himself, setting up God's kingdom once and for all, for all of eternity. I mean, that's what you're getting when you see that one phrase. So go home and read Psalm 2 today. Because Jesus is the true and better messenger. His gospel is the true and better message for us. The good news is that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. That Jesus is the long anticipated rescuer. Not your tradition, not your culture, not your Bible knowledge, not your goodness. But Jesus. Even the good things in life will not make things right between us and God. Only Jesus. No matter how hard we work at making this world a better place, you and I can never usher in God's kingdom on earth for eternity. It will never happen. In our own strength, we can do good things. We could feed every hungry person on the planet. We could build houses for every homeless person on the planet. We can, we can go out and just cure all kinds of diseases, but at the end of the day, those good things are meant to point us to Christ, the one and only King who can actually come and usher in a perfect kingdom. Don't get me wrong, we are to do those good things, but in light of Jesus being the one and only rescuer. Psalm 2 was quoted by Paul and Barnabas, If you look in the book of Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are are going around preaching the good news to both uh, religious and unreligious alike. And in chapter 13 of Acts, you see this great sermon. It starts like this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation and we bring you the good news of what God promised to the fathers, that He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. So you see, even in the book of Acts, chapter 13, you see uh, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, standing before religious people who are anticipating God's deliverance, and Paul is saying, Brothers, brothers, that sons of the of the fathers, he's saying, look, our identity has been seen in this tradition and this lineage. This is who we think we are. And then he says, brothers, here's the good news that Jesus is that anticipated Messiah. I mean, you know Psalm two, and you've meditated on it, and you've taught it to your children for generations. Here is the good news that God is fulfilling His promise that Jesus is that Son. And likewise, the writer of Hebrews is saying to The first century church, and to you and I today, that Jesus is indeed that king. And the good news is this since Jesus is the true and better messenger, and that Jesus' gospel is a true and better message, in him we find our identity. We see the identity of Jesus is where we find our identity. We find our identity not as wicked sinners. We find our identity not as good moral people. We don't find our identity in the good works that we do or the great tradition that we come from or even the family lineage in which we find ourselves, but rather who Jesus is and what he's done for us. As Paul said in Acts 13, you're no longer brothers, the son of Abraham, but rather we are the children being rescued by Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the King, the Messiah coming to rescue. We are rescued people. That's good news. You are not defined by your sin and brokenness. You are not defined by your past. Nor are you defined by your good strengths and whatever. You are defined as a person who has been rescued by Jesus if you are in Christ. And that is good news. So I want to ask you this first and foremost. We see that Jesus, our true and better messenger, that his identity informs our identity. So I want to ask you this. What are some things in which you find your identity today? Maybe it is your job or your status. Maybe it is the school you attend or a relationship that you have or don't have. And friends, I submit to you that Jesus, our true and better messenger, uh, defines who we are because of who he is and what he's done. But secondly, we see this, that Jesus reorients our worship, right? Verse 6 and 7 says this, Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. All right, so what we see happening here is the author of Hebrews is establishing this is the identity of Jesus. He is the long-anticipated Messiah. Hundreds of years before, Psalm 2 says this, and here is Jesus fulfilling that promise from God. But secondly, this reorients our worship because the writer is saying, look, you know, you have messengers of God, you have spiritual beings. When you look throughout the Old Testament, you have hundreds of exa- over a hundred examples. You look in the New Testament, you have over a hundred examples of, of spiritual angels coming doing miraculous, amazing things like bringing plagues and just like burning cities and doing just crazy things. And at the end of the day, those beings were created to worship Jesus. Right? Jesus is not just some other angel. He is not some random prophet. He is the Son of God Himself, who was created to, uh, who whose angels were created to worship Him. Right? You and I were created to worship Him, and Jesus comes as part of ushering in God's kingdom, is not only to uh, give His people a new identity, but secondly to reorient our worship. The writer of Hebrews here is quoting Psalm 97, Psalm 104. So go home and read Psalm 97 and Psalm 104 that, that say that um, they that, that give us a picture of creation being made to point to God and that angels coming to worship God. And we get a great picture of this in Isaiah chapter 6, for example. This is one of many examples of angels. All right, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Those are angels. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, with two He flew. And they one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You can read in the book of Revelation, you get a picture of eternity as as all of of creation is bowing down and that the angels are proclaiming the good news of of the Holy One Jesus seated on His throne, ruling for eternity. So for you and I today, uh, our worship is often misguided. I mean, often what happens, worship is an expression of our identity. So if we find our identity in our job, we will worship our job. That means that all of our mind's attention and heart's affection is, is stuck in whatever it takes to, to maintain this status in your job or to maintain this status in your community or maintain this amount of money in the bank. Now, don't get me wrong. Work hard. Do a good job at your work. Good grief. Don't go to work tomorrow and prop your feet. I mean, like office space, like walk in in flip-flops and like chop up a fish on your desk and say, Hey, man, you know, I found my identity in Christ, not this job. You know, okay turn off the Tetris, and finish the surgery. Man, there's somebody in there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Worship is an expression of identity. And so for you and I today, in a broken world, we find our identity in other things. Sometimes it's our job, it's our school. Sometimes it's uh, the money we have or the relationship we have. And therefore, worship is an expression of that. And often we think, well, I'm not an idolater, I don't bow to a statue. Well, tomorrow morning when you wake up, what's the first thing that occupies your mind? What's the, what's the thing that drives you all day long? And when you put your head on your pillow at night, what's the last thought in your head? Look at your calendar. What dominates your calendar? Look at your checkbook. What dominates your money? That's a good indication of where your heart's worship is geared and where your mind's attention is geared. Often it's bad things, but even more often it's good things. Even ministry can be an idol. I mean, I'll just confess to you, if my heart's affection and my mind's attention is all about church, 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 but never Jesus, I'm an idolater. And it's happened in my past. Confession. Repentance. That's why I say often that my identity here is not Pastor Jeremy. That's a role I have. My identity as a child of God. I'm a Christian, redeemed, saved by the blood of the Lamb, just like you, if you're a Christian. My role as a pastor, it's not my identity. Aside. <laughs> so I want to ask you this what has the ultimate place in your heart's affection and your mind's attention because that will be your object of worship Jesus being the true and better messenger whose gospel is the true and better message we see that Jesus being the only begotten son of God gives us a new identity and he is worthy of all worship that means all of our attention and affection should be geared toward honoring Jesus and following Jesus and worshiping him Not worshipping money or things or status or relationships. And if you're here today struggling with those things, which all of us do, so just, hey, we're all in it together, right? The good news is that Jesus is our great high priest, our true and better messenger, giving us this good news out of his grace, saying, I am rescuing you from that sin, from that idol. You are no longer defined by that. You're defined by me. Therefore, don't worship that. Worship me. He does so with such grace and gentleness and power because he's awesome and he's God. And for us as a church body together at Redemption Church, we gather to worship corporately to remind ourselves of this good news. We do this through song, through communion, through uh, reading the word, through preaching. So friends, may we gather together often and do this. You gather in people's homes and do the same thing. When you eat a meal with a friend this week, you know, a fellow believer, you can celebrate. You can worship together over coffee. Just say, what's God doing in your life? He's fantastic. He's great, right? When you worship, when you wake up tomorrow morning, if you have five minutes, I'm just telling you, if you have, if you have a big family and you got a lot going on, man, it's hard without fail, especially if you have kids. No matter how early you get up, I mean, this has been like. I just don't even sleep anymore because it started as like, well, the kids get up at 8, so I'll get up at 7.30 to read. And then they started getting up at 7.30, so I'll get up at 7.00. And they started getting up at 7.00, I get up at 6.00. And I like, man, just forget it. I'll just stay awake and read the Bible. Because no matter what time I get up to read the Bible, I'll get up at 5.30, I'm going to read the Bible and pray at 5.30, and one of my kids says, hey, I'm going to wake up. And I'm like, okay, well, then you're reading the Bible too. Sit down and read this. Make make some coffee. <laughs> Twins. A 15-month-old. Like, Let's make some coffee. <laughs> so the good news is that Jesus gives us a new identity, and secondly, that Jesus reorients our worship. And this is such good news. This changes everything for us. And it's my hope and encouragement that as a corporate body, as we gather to worship together like this, and we gather in missional communities, and even just casual friendships, playing frisbee, kayaking, talk about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And then in your personal life, May God uh, just invigorate your worship through your personal prayer life and your personal study. And if, you, if you're a music person, not all of you are, it's cool, but if you're a music person like me, man, I just drive down the road with the windows down just like singing at the top of my lungs. It's so fun when you're on Washington Road and you get to a red light, you get your hand out your window, you're like, Jesus, you pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just kind of the person next to you is like, what? I want to tell you about my Lord. <laughs> Thirdly... Um, Get back on track. So Jesus, our true and better messenger, informs our identity from his identity. Secondly, he reorients our worship becoming um, because he is uh, our true object of worship, a true person of worship. And then thirdly, uh, this good news motivates our mission. Listen to this in verse 8 to 10. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. We're all motivated by something. I mean, we all have a mission in life. It could be a broad mission of, hey, 30 years from now, I want to retire and have a beach house and a boat. That could be your driving motivation every day when you go to work. Or my driving motivation is to, uh, you know, get a PhD and write a bunch of books that nobody will read. That's kind of my motivation right now. Like, I want to be Dr. Carr and have 12 people read a book I wrote. There you go. Um, it could be, you know pursuing um, whatever career you have. And and like I said, these aren't bad things, but sometimes if we make them an ultimate thing, we can lose sight that our mission in life is to uh, worship Jesus. Our identity is redeemed worshipers. Therefore, everything we do, our big mission like that, and then our daily motivation should be in light of that good news. Meaning, uh, when you go to work tomorrow, it's not only to get a paycheck, it is God's provision for you. Thank God He gave you a job. But part of that is that God has placed you in a work environment to tell others about Jesus and to honor the Lord with the work of your hands. You don't have to quit your job and go overseas and be a missionary. You could be a good surgeon to the glory of God. You could be a good uh, doctor. You could be a good lawyer. You could, be, you could work hard in the restaurant in which you work or doing graphic design or nanny and children or having children. Wow, moms, you go. little disciples, you're making, hmm? dads, go for it. Whatever it is that God has given you to do is an opportunity to be on mission for Jesus. The neighborhood in which He's placed you, the school in which you attend, even the church that you were a part of—we are missionaries to each other, telling others about Jesus. And what we see, the first, uh, the author of Hebrews is here. He is—he's like quoting. You know, motivating the mission he's, he's quoting more from Psalm 104 and Psalm 45 saying that, uh, you know, Jesus is the creator. Right? So your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. Right? So you're this eternal king. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness upon your companions. Verse 10, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. So, so here Jesus is being equated, because it's true, uh, as being the creator and the ruler of all creation. As we saw last week in the beginning of the chapters, that Jesus is uh, was an agent of creation and that Jesus upholds the things he created. And this means not only the physical things, right? Like the earth you were walking on, uh, God created and sustains it. Like the earth doesn't fall apart when you walk because the Lord holds it up like this. But the Lord also sustains time and opportunity and like your mind. And so the mind you are using to think through stuff at work or school is, is a mind that the Lord is, is holding the neurons together for you. Okay? That means if God has given you the mind to be medical, do that to the glory of God, you are stewarding that kind of mind. God didn't give me that kind of mind. He gave me a different kind of mind. Or if you have uh, physical skills that you can do, you do those things on mission, the relationships you have aren't there just to stroke your ego. Like, I need to get this from this person. I mean, When you date immaturely, young people will love you. Don't date like that. What can I get from this person? Well, person's an idol. God destroys idols for the people he loves, so might want to step away, lest the lightning strike. Alright? Angels were created to be messengers of God. Likewise, and this is what I love about verse 10, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. When you look in in the Psalms, you see that, that created order is made to point and honor the Lord. You and I are created beings. We are created to honor the Lord and worship Him what we're made. And you can do that in every opportunity of life. You drink coffee for the glory of God. You can parent your children to the glory of God. You can run a half marathon to the glory of God. Wrestle with your children to the glory of God. It's so fun. So friends, we get distracted by personal indulgence. We get distracted by doing good things with wrong motives. But in the end, being created beings, and as the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus is, is the true and better messenger uh, to whom all honor is due, and that being the eternal king, the eternal creator, that, that angels are to worship him, and that all of creation is to worship him, that, that you and I, as created beings, are to worship him. And so Jesus, the true and better messenger, uh, reorients... I'm um, sorry, he informs our identity. Secondly, he reorients our worship. Thirdly, he motivates our mission. So I want to ask you, what is mo- your prime motivation in day-to-day life? If it's not Jesus, you need to repent and ask him to remind you of your identity so that you may worship him in your actions in day-to-day life. And it's fantastic. We do this in our personal realms of influence and we do this corporately as a church seeking to As missional communities serve neighborhoods, you know, turn back the block and what have you, are opportunities for us corporately to be motivated on mission out of our identity of worship. Okay, fourth and finally, Jesus, our true and better messenger, renews our hope. In verse 11, Luke 13 says this. I've got to start in verse 10 because I can't start mid sentence. So you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your ears have no end. And of which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool your feet. And so this is what I love. I mean, we see this beautiful portrait of Jesus being the creator and the sustainer, but then the author goes on to say, look, the works of your hands will perish. You know what that means? You cannot put your faith and hope and trust in your money because it's going to go away. You can't put your faith and hope in your beauty because it's not going to be there forever. You can't put your faith and hope in your strength because one day you're not going to be strong anymore. You can't put it in your health or your brain because, you know, the Lord holds your neurons together but all of creation is slowly wasting away and one day your neurons will not fire as sharp as they are firing right now. Right? It's the reality of it, friends. You can't put your hope in relationships with other people. That's your ultimate hope, because at the end of the day, we're all broken humans. We're going to let each other down. And so what Scripture is saying is, look, Jesus is our ultimate hope. I mean, He says here, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Friends, we put our ultimate hope in Christ. I mean, this should be our motivation, our focus of worship. I mean, we see our identity saying, look, we have an eternal God who is rescuing us. That's such good news. Your money will not rescue you. Your your, your job will not rescue you. Your own strength will not rescue you. One day, we may all be poor, lonely, crazy, broken people. But if our hope is in Christ, ultimately, we know we have hope, right? Because he is the same. His years will have no end. If he, if he is the king of the universe and he has promised to rescue us, which he, has, which he has, we know that ultimately we are secure. The writer is quoting Psalm 10. Go home and read Psalm 110. Psalm 110, sorry. Psalm 110, this is awesome. I just got to tell you this and I'll be done. I'll go home. I'll worship our way out of here and mission our way out of here, right? <laughs> Psalm 110 says this. I mean, Psalm 110 is, is what the author is quoting here. Right, Psalm 110. Everybody says, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet." Psalm 110 is quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. This is awesome. If you look in Mark 22, I'm sorry, Mark 12, Matthew 22, Luke 20, some religious elite come to Jesus and saying, "Who are you?" You know which. What are you doing? I mean, are you teaching this? Are you in line with this? Are you another prophet? Are you the angel? Are you good just a good moral teacher? And Jesus busts out one ten and is like, hey man, God said of the Messiah, I will sit at sit at your right sit at my right hand until I make the enemies your a footstool at your feet. <laughs> and so Jesus is like talking to religious people, some with really good, honest questions, some that are like, We hate this guy. At the end of the day. Jesus quotes Psalm 110, quotes Scripture to say, I am the fulfillment of that expectation that I have an eternal kingdom, that I'm setting all things right. Find your hope in me. Don't find your hope in your tradition. Don't find your hope in your religion. Don't find your hope in your moral goodness. Find your hope in me. I am the only hope you have. Jesus says this. Peter quotes Psalm 110. If you read in Acts 2 his sermon at Pentecost, Peter quotes Psalm 110 both to Jewish uh, religious folks, just like Jesus was preaching to, and also to sojourning cultures that happen to be on the periphery saying, what's going on? We want to see what that is. And Peter quotes Psalm 110 to show Christ's identity and salvation. Psalm 110 is important. Read it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying in line of everything we see in chapter 1 here, that Jesus is the true and better Savior because he is our true and better only creator, the only person who is the object of our worship, the only one who gives us a new identity, the only one who created everything, sustains everything, the only eternal hope we have, the only one in one all of the universe that will be forever and ever reigning in all wisdom and righteousness and graciousness. Friends, He is our only hope. And if you walk out of here with nothing else, you just need to know that. When you walk out of here and the world screams, have hope in your beauty. Combat that with the gospel. I have hope in Christ. When the world says, worship this, Say so, you no, know, I worship Jesus when culture says find your identity and security and your strength and in your popularity and how many Facebook followers you have. Are you kidding me? I have so many counts so much of my counseling load comes from social media ridiculousness. Just burn it, just unplug it. I mean get lies just fed to you constantly. You'll you'll feel secure and loved if you have a thousand followers. Man, whatever. Just Unplug it. Pinterest saying, look at this. If your house looks like this, then you'll be secure. You know, mint.com. Have this much more money, and then you'll be secure. Man, whatever. Passion. (laughs) I'll end by saying this. I mean, I am very passionate. And here's why. Because apart from Christ, we are all damned. We have no hope. But in Christ... We have eternal hope and security. And we have this great privilege and joy of worshipping them here and now on into eternity. And man, we need to get the word out. Because everybody you come in contact with is being sold a bill of goods. And everybody you you know, everybody that breathes is finding hope somewhere else. Worshipping something else. Finding their identity somewhere else. And we have the great joy and privilege as redeemed people to say, no, 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 no. Let me introduce you to Jesus. I mean, when you go to work tomorrow and your buddy's like, man, I just need to get more money. You say, look, man, uh, steward money well because it's God's gift to you. But at the end of the day, your identity is not in the money you have. Or when you go to school tomorrow and you're sitting at the lunch table and your friend's like, I'm not dating anybody. Nobody asked me to the dance or just whatever. Or I didn't make the team. I mean, you can encourage people with the hope in Christ. When you go to your neighborhood and people are struggling with relationships, marriage, family, finances, just relationships. When somebody gets unfriended on Facebook, man, just love them with the gospel. And say, look, your identity is not who follows you on Facebook, people. Your identity is in Christ. And that's good news. Right? Okay. Jesus, our true and better messenger, informs our identity, reorients our worship, motivates our mission, and renews our hope. And this is good news. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you more than anything to know this Jesus. So come talk to me or somebody you know that is a believer and we will open up the word graciously and with gentleness and bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your cynicism, man. I love cynics because I am one and Jesus is healing me of that slowly but surely and it's really, really hard and public and embarrassing half the time, but it's okay. And so if you're a cynic or a skeptic or a doubter or a seeker or just an all-out, blatant, non-I-just-don't-even-want-to-know-Jesus, come talk to me because I want you to know Jesus and I'll buy you coffee, right? Secondly, if you are a believer, let us be real with who we are in our hearts and just be honest about what steals our attention and affection and what steals our worship and our joy and where we find our identity. Just be honest about it and take it to Jesus. That's all I want you to know. At the end of the day, I could have preached that sermon in 90 seconds, is read your Bible and be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and therefore the new identity you have and how we are to live. Uh, May we repent, that means to turn from sin, to turn from idols, and may we believe in turning to Jesus and follow him as the anchor of our soul, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who changes our identity and gives us ultimate joy and worship and hope. You with me? Amen. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for a morning to open up your scriptures. Uh, God, your word is so deep and so rich and so thick. Uh, God, it would take us a lifetime to even understand the first word. So God, I thank you that by your spirit you were at work uh, through your scriptures, in your scriptures, uh, in and through your people. Uh, God, that indeed you would continue to grow us and shape us. Uh, God, that you would open our minds constantly to understand your word. That you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to repent with with uh, belief. God, that our hearts would beat with joy and beat with faith. And Lord, uh, that you would... Um, Indeed, indwell our worship of you, and God shape us corporately and as individuals, as couples, as families. and God that in all things, we would see your beauty. and God that you would ignite in us courage and, and passion uh, to get the word out of the goodness of Jesus, Lord, that we would be able to tell of your good news uh, personally in our marriages and families and neighborhoods. God, in the restaurants we eat, the places we shop, the places we work and study, and God, that we would be able to speak your grace to our children, to our children's children, to our spouses, to those who are dating, to those they date. Um, God, I pray that in all things uh, we would worship you. God, that your glory would be supreme. Lord, I ask that you do this by your Holy Spirit for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news would ripple out from this place to the nations. In Christ's name, amen.